every successful person got there by going through tough times. Success is a hard-ass teacher who likes to knock you around along that journey. You know, it takes real guts to not give up and keep going. We'll hear stories about failures and how these leaders flip the script to create success. I'm John Schultz. Join me and let's discover how success is never really overnight. John Schultz podcast. Uh, we're very excited to have an amazing guest today, Steve Shripa. Uh, he's best known for portraying Bobby Bacala on The Sopranos and uh, Detective Anthony Abitamarco on Blue Bloods. Two uh, great shows. Sopranos, the best show probably ever on TV, ever, 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 ever. And I'm a Jersey guy, so I'm a, a little biased, but I still believe it. He's a producer and host of two investigation discovery series, Karma's a Bitch, which is a, a truth and nothing personal. He also co-hosts a podcast with Michael Imperioli called Talking Sopranos, 5 million downloads. That's like ridiculous. Oh, 20 million, 20, 20 million. million now, 20 million. Listen, it's uh, it's ridiculous, whatever it is. It's, uh, it's my dream to have that many downloads. Uh, started as an entertainment director at the Riviera Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas and had cameo appearances with comedians. Decided to become an actor when he was an extra in Martin Scorsese's Casino. Love that movie. You've appeared in many shows since. Law and Order, SVU, Columbo. Oh, my God. I love that. It's my wife's favorite. The King of Queens, George Lopez, The Tonight Show. You've authored the Goomba series of books and uh, co-authored two more, including the 2021 release of the New York Times bestseller, Woke Up This Morning, The Definitive Oral History of the Sopranos. Love that. You got to wake up to do anything, right? So that's a good title. I love it. A line of vegan and organic pasta sauces, healthy, trying to make Italian healthy. I love that. And born in the great place of Brooklyn and one of four siblings and here you are on my show. How lucky am I? How you doing, Steve? Uh, good to see you, my friend. Good to see you. Uh, so excited to do this, being a Jersey guy and, and watching your show. My whole family loves your show. We've obviously come to see your live shows as well, which are terrific. I advise everyone to go see them. So for my audience, we're all about like, you know, it looks good when you make it, but how do you get there? We know it's hard. We know it takes time. And it's a myth that things happen overnight. Uh, I always call myself a 30-year overnight success, right? Because it takes that long. So bring us back to little Steve. Like, what did little Steve do when he first got into business? And were you always wanting to be an entertainer? How'd this all form for you? Yeah. Uh, no, no. I grew up in Brooklyn. I grew up on welfare. Wow. Yeah. My father was a shitbag. Didn't provide. I had five kids in the family. We lived in a little apartment in, in Bensonhurst, in a nice neighborhood, at least. Uh, went to Brooklyn College, graduated, played basketball there. I was a captain my last two years. Wow. Uh, sports kind of kept me out of the fray because uh, back then, in the 60s and 70s, that part of Brooklyn was a big mob area very very much so probably the biggest mom and uh, mob enclave in all of new york city at the time they were everywhere uh 
you know, you knew them. They were your baseball coach. They were your friend's uncle. They were your friend's dad. They were just guys on the block, you know. Uh, I grew up with I grew up with guys. Some became doctors and lawyers, and some became mob guys. You know, I went to I played little league with a guy that did twenty five years for murder. You just knew them. You went to elementary school with them. You went to junior high school with them. You went to high school with them. You know, and then at some point, people veer off. You know, probably around the high school age somewhere somebody goes right somebody goes left so uh i was there i graduated from brooklyn college tried out for an israeli basketball team uh when i graduated and uh they wanted me to work on a kibbutz which i did not want to do and a buddy of mine moved to vegas and he said come out i could get you a job so i moved to vegas and I had a job delivering pizza. I'm a college graduate. I'm delivering pizza. I'm making about 400 a week cash at the time. We're living in a house, four of us. The rent's for nothing. Every night, my pay, $20 I put in the drawer, and then I fuck the rest off, you know? <laughs> we're supposed to spend the money. And we're not out night after night after night enjoying everything Las Vegas uh, offers a guy of, 22, 23 years old. I get a job at Paul Anker's club as a night, uh, as a bouncer. Uh, I go there, uh, I apply for the job. I get the job. You're wearing a tuxedo now. Guy from Brooklyn, tuxedo. There's celebrities, there's sports stars, OJ Simpson, Paul <laughs> Anker, showgirls. Now it's a whole nother thing. You're going, how the hell did I get here? <laughs> I mean, last year I was hanging out on a street corner, you know? Uh, so that was opened my eyes to like, wow, you know, and Vegas was small then 350,000 people. You kind of knew everybody. Everybody came through the club. You know what I mean? Like the yeah. is and, and, you know, uh, mob guys, you know, the guy from, uh, the guy from Casino, Tony Spalaccio, was a friend of mine. And Johnny Russo, who's still a friend of mine, he uh, was in The Godfather. He was there all the time. And it was a whole different world, you know. And they were mostly all older than me. So uh, I got into that world, nightclub business. Uh, and then I got a job at another place, which was open 24 hours a day. place was wild. You had celebrities pimps, drug dealers, 24 hours a day. When I would leave, I would work one at night to nine in the morning. And wow. when I would leave at 9 a.m., the dance floor was packed. And then I would go out. So, like I said, having the time of my life, just just incredible, you know. I mean, it was like, this is what I've dreamed about, honestly, you know. And so... Uh, then What's got, wild though is like you just you just left you just like like you, I just left and it I was got, like kibbutz or Vegas how the hell like how you know did but, that the, even but the thing was this you know John this was the thing and I, I was honest I, I was not never a bullshit guy you know like what you saw is what you saw you know and even now you know I, yeah I feel that about you you're the best yeah, this is it, you know so uh, even then you know I look you in the eye my word is my bond. I tell you something, it's true, you know, like me or not, one thing I'm not is a liar. Right. And I think that that helped me all the way through because now I'm dealing with, you know, people that I never dealt with before, you know, yep. 
I had, you know, jobs in, in, in Brooklyn, you know, cleaning chimneys and doing this and doing that. I had all kinds of different jobs, you know, in college and all that. So now you deal. Where'd you go to college? I went to Brooklyn college. I went to ah. John Jay for one year. Then I went to Brooklyn. Yeah. Good. So, uh, you know, now I'm dealing with different kind of people and I, I was getting tired of it. It was a rough place to work as a bouncer, you know, a lot of problems and I was kind of getting tired of it. So I moved to Hawaii for a year. I met a guy who owned a restaurant. He was a big restaurant tour guy. Big You're bullshit. like, I love it. It's like extreme. You go from Brooklyn to Vegas, now to Hawaii. It's not oh, like you went to like Arizona or something, right? You've been to Hawaii, right? I have not yet, actually. It's beautiful. Like, I gotta place. go. I gotta beautiful go. Place and beautiful people, right? Yep, that's what I hear. Uh, I, I stay in Hawaii about a year. Uh, you know, this guy, big restaurant tour guy, big bullshit artist guy. You know, big. You know, I'm saying, where's the, you know, the guy's supposed to take care of, you know, yet he made all these promises. And it was a beautiful restaurant, uh, the penthouse, and there was a band, and I was a maitre d' there, and it was just a beautiful <laughs> place, and all, all kinds of people, you know, expensive place. Right. And, uh, uh, and I liked it there, and then I had enough of that, came back to Vegas, and there was a guy, and, you know, along the way, you meet people in your life, right? And they kind of change your life without you knowing. You know, I've never been that guy to go, I'm gonna become friends with John uh, because, you know, John could do X, Y, and Z for me. Right. You know? I'm gonna become Mitch Modell, who's both our dear friend. I'm yep. gonna become friends with Mitch because Mitch could do ba ba ba. Never been that guy, ever. If I like you, I like you. I don't give a shit what you do. <laughs> if I don't like you, I don't like you. Right, right. Listen, that's that's uh, that's that's truism. I mean, that's being that's living your truth, right? That's that's a good thing. Absolutely. And so uh, there was a guy. I, I I got a job again as a bouncer when I first got back, and uh, there was a guy, Israeli guy, Dovo Dents, beautiful guy. His family was back in Israel, and he was the front desk manager at the Riviera Hotel. And he would come into the club. And he would stand with me, you know, I was at the podium, you know, getting ready to see people and he would sit, I'd buy him a drink and we would talk. He was lonely. He missed his kids and his wife and he was yep. and just, you know, we just talked and we just, we became friends like that. And he would come in and we would talk, Hey, Dove, good to see you. I, I liked him. He's a nice man. Yeah. Right. And so by the time I got back from Hawaii, he became the vice president of the Riviera. Oh my God. How and, cool is that? Yeah. He became the vice president. And so, uh, he found out I was back in town and he sent somebody in. He said, there's a job opening and, and Dove wants you to apply. So well, I said, wow, look at this. Right. I mean, uh, and I went to, got the job and I got the job running the improv comedy club. It was a crappy job, 15000 a year. This is 1986. Yeah. Uh, 15000 a year and hopefully tips. Back then, you still, you know, you sat people, you got a tip, you know. It was it was still those days when you yep. did that. Those were some of the biggest jobs in town, uh, a maitre d' and a captain. When you go to a showroom in Vegas in the old days, you have your reservation, you got to give the guy 20, 40, 50, whatever it is, 
depending on who you're going to see. And they give you a seat. And they were some of the, those were some of the most prestigious jobs in town. Like the guy, the Elvis in the showroom. My buddy was making 800 a night in the 70s. Wow. Yeah. But entertainment, listen, entertainment's never gone away, right? It's always been no. such a part. I mean, in COVID, you realize how much you missed it, especially sure. you going, right? It's, it's terrible. No shows and everything. So, uh, you know, I got this job and there was just a stack of chairs and they said, hey, make a showroom. And I was kind of going by the seat of my pants because I didn't know anything about this. And, uh, you know, uh, slowly the job uh, came around. It took about six months. I wasn't making any money. I hung in there. And then it kicked in and it got busy. Then they gave me two more showrooms. So now I was running three small showrooms. Yeah. Charge. Uh, I worked, uh, I worked for nine years, six days a week. I didn't want to take a day off for numerous reasons. Things go wrong. You're responsible. Also, the money was good. I was making cash every night. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I, I was making so much cash in my first house. I had a safe put in in the garage <laughs> and a workbench with a fake floor in it. No lie. Really? And I had the money stacked up. <laughs> That's how much money I was making. I would come home at night, throw it in the safe. And, uh, and then I was getting ready to do another one and I sold the house and, and, and built another one. There you uh, go. So they, it was, became a really good job. Okay. You know, you could set your watch to how much you were going to make every night. And then, a new boss came in and he gave me a promotion, which I didn't want because I was making more money right. doing this, but kind of had no choice. He said, you either do this or kind of be gone. So <laughs> right. now I became an executive. I didn't know nothing. And I learned and did my homework and talked to a lot of people. And I became the entertainment director and I was responsible for I don't know, two, three, four million dollars a year budget of uh, bands in the lounge, three showrooms, and then we were doing big acts: the Beach Boys and uh, Drew Carey and and, and uh, David Spade and Dennis Leary and George Lopez and all these comics, Bill Maher, and I could go on and on. Every comic. How good almost, is that? That what a great! I get you got to meet all these people and learn almost, from them, and right? Almost, yeah, almost every comic especially now older guys, because this is in the 80s and the 90s. Joe Rogan, uh, who's uh, I consider a good friend. I mean, Joe I think the comedy world is such a tight knit world. It seems that way from looking on the outside in. Yeah, and well, then, it's they, different. Yeah, it's different than the rest. But of the show. longevity too, right? There are these people yeah. have been around and they move on to other cool things like you and every, all of them. Yeah, so uh, so now I'm, I'm doing this. And then one of the comics said, hey, you know, I'm doing this little show. Why don't you come to LA and do it? I never read a script. I never had any aspirations. I was afraid to get up and talk to people. Uh, on, I was never a shy guy. Don't get me wrong, but I, I was, uh, I didn't want to go on stage and talk in a microphone. Like, right, you know, right, right. The MC wasn't there. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go up there and say goodnight folks, you know? So, uh, I went to LA it's going to sound like a cliche, but I went to LA and uh, 
I did this sketch. There was a little a show on Fox. There were these five minute film pieces. Yeah. I did it with they were all comics and myself. And uh I read the script and we did it and I just had an absolute ball. I mean, I just loved it. I flew out. I did it. I flew back. And I was, like I said, very cliche. I kind of was high. Like I went, wow. I mean, that was just, you know, that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that. You, you felt know? the flow of it, right? You felt the inside thing. I didn't know anything. I read it for the first time. I read it, you know, read the lines. I didn't know anything. <laughs> and so uh, then uh, the casting person there saw me. And I did a couple more of those kind of things. And yeah. then another comic put me in his thing. And it was, it was a hobby to me. It was never thought about making a living. It was a hobby. It was fun. Uh, that's what it was for me. And, you know, I pursued it, but didn't pursue it. You know, I kind of fiddled, diddled around. And if something came along, I would do it. And then once again, I met another guy who helped me, his name was Ray Favaro, and he was a casting person in Vegas. Uh, and he, when like a movie would come to town or a TV show, he, if there was something for me, he would put me up for it and I would go in an audition. Yep. And uh, I started getting these little bit roles, two lines here, three lines there. Did Chicago Hope, did King of Queens, did the movie Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. There was no pressure. I didn't give a shit. I had money. I was making good money at the hotel. My rent wasn't due. There was no desperation. If I got it, I got it. I'm very competitive. Of course, I wanted it. But right. if I didn't, it was no big deal. And I think that that really helped me at the time because, you know, when an actor needs to pay his bills, and he's struggling, you could feel it. You know, I think you could feel it. This was just loose and I would go in. And then Ray became kind of my first acting teacher. Uh, and he would help me. And then uh, I was going, I, I met an agent just as a friend, once again. He would come in, I knew him through another agent. I would comp his room. You know, uh, I would comp his food. He would come in. We would hang out. We'd go drinking, go eating. <laughs> and he was a pretty good-sized agent, uh, English guy. And he, uh, you know, I asked him, I said, are you going to help me? You know, and he said, I'll look after you, which means he's not going to sign me. But if there's something comes up or if I get something, he'll do he'll help you out. Right. Well, sister, so, guide you. So he told me that, and then he really wasn't doing much. And then I, I pulled him up and I said, you know, I really want to try this. And if you don't help me, I'm going to get someone that's going to. Do you know that's the first time in this discussion from years and years and years that you actually asked for something? Everything you did was happenstance. Yeah. One yeah. thing happened. And because you, you just like, you didn't, there was no stress. Like things sort of flowed. Absolutely. This, so now you want it, right? Now you got a little bit of the. Yes, I, want to do uh, I got a little taste of it. This Ray was a big help, and I got a little taste of it. Uh, I did a movie, which is where I probably had an epiphany. There was a director, Adam Rifkin, early on, and he put me in a few things, and he liked what I did. He was a real director. 
He wrote yep. some movies, real director, real guy. Uh, and uh, he was doing a movie in Toronto. Matter of fact, that's the poster. Detroit oh, wow. City. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on the poster. That was early on, 1997. Wow. Uh, and uh, I went to Toronto, and I had a nice little role with real actors. Uh, Kevin Corrigan, who's working to this day, he's done over 100 movies, and Natasha Leone, who's a big star. And I had a scene with them, and I remember calling my wife back in Vegas, and it was probably 2 in the morning there, freezing cold. I was in a garage playing a mechanic, and I, I told my wife, I said, you know, I think I can do this. You know, I said, I, I, I think I can do it. I mean, that was where these were two real actors, and it was a real role, and I went, I, you know, I think I can do this. You know, that was kind of like the- That was your epiphany. Aha, yeah, like, wow, you know, I'm doing it. So <laughs> I went to New York for a wedding. Yeah. Friend of mine was at my wedding 10 years earlier. He was a writer for Saturday Night Live. And I said, uh, you know, when you get married, I'll be there no matter what. And so I went to the wedding. And as an afterthought, I told this agent, I said, you know, I'm going to New York. See if you can get me to read. Maybe I could get a couple lines on this Soprano show I hear <laughs> so much about. And he uh, got me. Uh, an audition for the role of an FBI agent. And yep. I was staying in the Vista Hotel, which is- For no the Sopranos. For the show. For the show. Okay. 1999, uh, May, June, 1999. Got it. Uh, they were starting up for the second season. And so they uh, faxed me, back then, you faxed, right? You faxed me to audition the sides. And I went up to, in Midtown, I went up to the office and it was Christopher Walken's wife, Georgianne. She's the casting director. And, you know, I started reading this role of an FBI agent. She went, no, 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 no. What, 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 uh, what is, uh, uh, I don't see you as that. <laughs> Read this. And she said, what are you nervous for? It's just me and you. There was no one in the office. It was a Friday afternoon. Yeah. Nobody was there. It was just me and her. And that kind of calmed me down. And so I read it. She gave me five minutes and I read it. Bacala. She said, we have someone in mind, but here. And so, uh, you know, she looked at my resume. She said, what is this? And I told her, I said, you know, two lines here, three lines there, ba -ba -ba, you know, and uh, they called me back. They called me to come back to New York, you know, and, uh, I wasn't going to do it. And I said, I'm going to go back there. I'm not going to get it. I'm going to have to pay my way. Got to put myself up. I said, I, I told my wife, I'm not going to do it. And she's the one, honestly. She said, why not? You only happy. You're doing this. It makes you happy. She remembered when you called her for the epiphany. Like that's what, like that's, she's a good woman. She, she listens to you. She said, uh, you know, you're, you're happy when you do this. You work so hard, you know? So I went back, uh, I flew in. I had to fly myself in. They don't pay you away and all that. And right. I, I, I flew in and I flew out immediately afterwards on the red eye. Probably the cheapest flight I could get. I went to Silver <laughs> Cup. There was hundreds of people auditioning 
for different roles. But, uh, and she called me, the casting director, which is not what you do because you, you would call the agent, but it was like 8.30 in the morning and I was in LA shooting something, you know, yeah. morning. I went right on the flight to LA and uh, she said, hey, I just got to tell you, you work so hard, you got it. I know I should be calling your agent, but I don't want to. Uh, you beat out over a hundred people for this role, blah, blah, blah. Wow, man. That's huge. Great phone call, right? Great phone call. Totally. You're on, you're on top of the world. So now I finish what I'm doing. I go to the airport. I call the agent. He tells me not to take it. Your agent. He said, don't take it. They're not going to fly you. They're not going to put you up. They're not guaranteeing you any money. And I said, well, I want to do this. By now, I got such a taste of it, I yep. wanted out of the job. I got tired of the job. As good a job as it was, it was also a job that you put out fires all day long. Right. It's a lot of, lot of stress. So, so you know, your, your happy moments are few and far between. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know? yep. You know, because it's always, you know, back then you had the beeper. The beeper's going off 2, 3 in the morning. <laughs> yep. This guy's unhappy. This guy's pissing in the hallway. This comic is doing this. No, this it's is, all you are is solving all the crap. That's all you're doing. Exactly. So, uh, you know, I said, well, I'm doing it. And I go back and I fly myself and I, I've told you the story. I mean, it cost me $24,000. Uh, I did six episodes that season and I made $22,000. Wow. You know, I had the money. The hotel was very cooperative. I had six weeks vacation and they worked with me. They were very, very nice about it. And I flew back and forth. I would fly in sometimes for a day, you know, and it was hard because you don't know. They never told you if you were in it to the last minute, you know, they never, uh, uh, you know, they switch. Well, you're on call in a different way, right? Absolutely. It's another beeper, another beeper. Absolutely. Very yeah. difficult. And so we did that. And then uh, I guess they were happy with what I did. And they brought me back the following years and made me a series regular. And I, they moved me and my family. I, my daughters were young. I had two daughters. They were young at the time. And we moved back to New York. They moved us back. And they, I, I wasn't making much money. I, I took a pretty big cut in pay, you know, to be, uh, to be happy on the way out the door. Yeah. I tell my boss, I said, you know, I could still do this by phone. You know, I still had the secretary there. I said, right. You know, so I got them to pay me for 10 years. I was a consultant. I got 3000 a month and they paid my phone bill for 10 years. Well, that's good. Listen, yeah, right. you obviously add value, whatever you do, right? That's why these things, because as much as you're not the catalyst of all this, you're, it's all flowing in, which I think is what life really is anyway. Agency. I had owned an agency. Yeah, you work hard. I had to do, you know, John, I had to do, to make up for it. I had a hustle. So you're making this amount, but I had to find ways to make other money. Exactly. So I was booking. I had an agency in Las Vegas and I had a partner and, you know, and we were booking acts and doing things and making some money here and making money there and making money there. Yeah. Until, you're entrepreneurial. Yeah. Until my role kicked in, uh, you know, 
you know, in uh, Found the Sopranos. And then I did the book and the first book was a huge success. Uh, that kind of stumbled my way. They originally wanted Tony Sirico to do a cookbook. And my business manager said, you need to talk to Steve. Tony doesn't want to do it, which he didn't want to. And so, uh, you know, that book became a New York Times bestseller. That's awesome. I and that it. opened the door to all these other books. And then I, I wrote a kid's book. I, I literally dreamt it. And I'm not kidding you. I dreamt a story up. I woke up in the morning. I told my wife, I have an idea for this book. And I called and I went to Random House at the time. I just came off the big book. Now they listen to you. Exactly, exactly. Came off the big book, which was a big, big success. Uh, it, How many it, copies? How many copies you sell? I think they, I think, uh, I think the first one sold eighty to a hundred. Wow, good for you. They didn't give me uh, much of an advance on that one, but then right. the second and third one, I got big advances. Yeah, I did the kids' book, which we I sold to Nickelodeon, and it's oh, a movie. Wow. It's a kids' movie. That's yeah, so yeah. good. Yeah. It took me seven years to make the movie. And and uh, it's the only movie with myself, Paulie Walnuts, Jim, Tony Soprano's in it, Michael Imperioli's in it, uh, and uh, Johnny Sack is in it. Five of us. Rita Marino played my, wife, uh, my mother. And I saw that it took me seven years, nine scripts, uh, and we saw that we got it made. And uh, it's good. It's called Nicky Deuce. I you love that. Get a kick out of it. It's a kids' movie, but it's fun. When did it come out? It came out in 2013. It came okay. out. Jim died in June, June 19th, 2013. Uh, the premiere in LA was May 20th. That's the last time I saw Jim. He came to the premiere. Him That's and Mike amazing. The premiere, yeah. And it's a fun movie. It's just a kid movie, but we had a ball making it. Uh, so that was good. And then things just, you know, rolled along, you know, and, and, and you know, I, I, I watch what I do. I'm very careful about what I take. I, I'm not a fan of the mob. So I play mob guys, but I'm not a big fan of it. You know, honestly, people think it's a joke. I don't find the mob a joke. You know, they're bad people. They do bad things. Uh, they don't just hurt each other. You know, people think it's a joke and they wear jogging suits and cigars and they, they run around like this is a game. These guys are not to be screwed with, you know. Uh, right, right. They're nice guys until they're not, you know. Uh, right. You know, so, uh, you know, I, I get offered a lot of that lower end stuff, which I don't do. And then I sold, I had a show, uh, ABC for my own show and Cookie Channel. I did a talk show for Fox Pilot. Some of them went, some of them didn't go. You know, I, I did four seasons for Discovery, two different shows. And, you know, uh, then the podcast was a huge hit. Very successful. We didn't know what we were doing. Uh, we had no idea we were approached. And then we did it on our own. We owned the podcast. So you own the, you own the distribution, which is good. We own the podcast, yeah. Right. And, you know, a lot of people were going, well, go with this company, that company. And we were approached, and we didn't like the deals. They were trying to screw us, flat out trying to screw us. And right. And Let, let's try it on our own. Uh, and so we, uh, producer Jeff Sussman and Andy Verderam, uh, 
Um, well, you know, it seems like like by listening to your whole life, and what I love about it, every time you're doing something new, it's like I had no idea what I was doing, but no. you were never afraid to try, fail, try again. And it like you had to have huge patience. I mean, I think in the entertainment business, you have to anyway, because like you said, that movie took seven years. Like no, seven no years. one realizes the grueling nature of doing what you do and getting things done and actually to the big screen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's a very tough. I wouldn't want my kids to do it. You know, don't forget, I was 40, 41 years old and I had some money. I wasn't, you know, you know, flush, 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 but I wasn't struggling. And, you know, the first thing I did, because the Sopranos were so, you know, you honestly didn't know if you were going to get killed off for real. And the more, you know, the bigger your role got, the more of a shot that you were going to get killed off. And so I never bought an apartment in New York. Uh, I was, uh, you know, afraid. I had a, a big house that I had built in Las Vegas, and I paid that off. When I finally started making money, I paid the house off with the theory of, okay, all else fails. We moved back to Las Vegas. My house is paid for. Cost of living's much less, and I go back to work. I never, and I had this in my head, I never wanted to be a struggling actor. I don't want to be that guy. You know, right. I don't want to be the guy that's grinding it out and, and you know, struggling and scraping and grabbing and power to them. I, 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 I love them for doing it. It's just not for me. Right, you know, right. This guy's trying this for 30 years, man. You know, it is a... A lot of luck involved. You know, people, oh, you know, they don't want you to think that, you know. There's a lot of right place, right time. Well, I, I think, listen, you, it would, may not happen if your wife didn't tell you to get on the, on the plane. So, and, listen, you also made an investment in some, I just think, like, all the attributes of, like, you did something that you, you felt passionate about. You made the investment in it knowing it may not work. Sure. You, 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 you like, so as much as you're saying it's lucky, I mean, you were also open. No, to, no, I worked, I worked extremely hard. But what if you were saying, open to failing and trying, I mean, how do you get anywhere? But just also think about it. You know, yeah. you, meet, you meet people along the way in your life. I remember when I was in college, I needed money. I had a girlfriend at the time. I needed money. Uh, I was going to go take a leave of absence. I was working for the post office. Yep. Down, uh, down on uh, Church Street there, you know, the one day to yeah. Washington Center. I was working graveyard shift, and then I would go to school in the morning. And I went in, and I was going to take a leave of absence. And I ran into this professor. His name was Placido Gomez. And I, he said, what's happening, you know? And I told him, and he went, listen to me, son. If you take a leave of absence, you will never come back. That degree is worth millions of dollars to you. You will never come back. Please, son. I mean, the guy pleaded with me yep. to drop out of school. And I listened to him. So you got him. You got the guy, Dove Odets, just a fine fella I buy a drink for. Yeah. You know, I, I, I also find this in life. For me, the people that have helped me were people 
for the most part, that I didn't know. You know, I went in to audition for David Chase. He changed my life by giving me a job. Hey, granted, I did a good job for him. But then I was on another series called Secret Life of the American Teenager. Maybe your daughter saw it. Yeah, I'll ask him. I was on that for five years with Molly Ringwald. They offered me the role once again. They offered me three episodes. They wouldn't fly me out. They were paying me, I think, scale. I had the three episodes. It was a high school show. I gave them to my younger daughter. I said, what do you think? Read them. She said, it's pretty good. <laughs> she was 13. And that's, oh that's who the show was for. It was for right, right, right. At that that's age. so funny. She liked the script. I love I liked that. The script. I said, read them. What do you think? So I went in, I flew myself out again. I, I had a friend of mine owns a hotel on Sunset Boulevard. He gave me the room, <laughs> did an episode. I did another episode and then they offered me a deal and flew me. And I was on that show for five years, 110 episodes, Brenda Hampton. Didn't know her from Adam, you know, and that was the big job. Because coming out of The Sopranos, you know, you needed to get that job and you needed it quickly, the second job. Otherwise, who knows? Right, who knows? Exactly. It's a big show. And now I get this job within five or six months. You know, you needed to, boom, get yep. back in action. And what I liked was it was just a suburban dad. It wasn't a mob thing. Right. So, you know, so... I didn't know her. Then I got Blue Bloods. They offered me one episode. Money's, you know, top of show, they call it. Nothing with nothing. They offered me one, maybe two. I said, I'll do it. I go in. I uh, They give me a second one. I talk to the showrunner, the big boss, Kevin Wade. Uh, we talk. He said, I'd like, you'd like to do more? I said, I'd love to do more. I tell my agent, don't worry about the money. Just get me more episodes. Right. It was more important for me to be out there more. You know Stay what I mean? relevant. The money was exactly. Right. So I've done 109 episodes of Blue Bloods. Oh, my God. Came in Amazing. I came in for one, maybe two, and I've done 109. So, I mean, I've, I've invested in myself. I always say I took a shot with uh, the company of Steve Sharipa. You know, I, I invested in myself where a lot of people wouldn't do that. I was also lucky to have the means to do that, you know, because I, I could fly myself. I could put myself up. I could take yeah, a But kick. you created the meat. Like, you 42, you started this. It's like... Ray Crock at 50 and the Kentucky Fried Chicken guy, uh, the Viacom owner, he was 60, yeah. right? So, so you, you know, you say you, you had the means, you created the means and you weren't afraid to change and be you. And that's all I could be, you know, uh, John, I've worked very hard. I've, I've acting coaches to this day. I've always worked with someone. I work very hard. I know what I could do. I can't do it all. I'm not going to be an English professor. I'm, you know, I, I know my, you want what I do. This is what I do. If you want that guy, I deliver. I come in, I know my lines. 
I work very, very hard. I don't cause any problems. I don't have an ego. I just do what I do. Uh, I, I consider it just like any other job, like a lunchbox. I bring my lunch pail to work, <laughs> I do my thing, and I go home. I'm not that interested in, uh, you know, I, I know a lot of people in show business because I've been around a long time. You've got longevity. I hang, a lot, I, I hang around mostly with my family and friends that I grew up with, regular guys are my friends. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not in love with show business. I like acting a lot. I'm not in love with the red carpet backstage and I'm not in love. I don't need that. Yeah, how did it feel like when the Sopranos, listen, the Sopranos was like gigantic, right? So being on a show like that, which is, you know, how much more famous can something be, right? Yeah, so, you know, listen, what did it feel like? Like when you're walking around? It was, was a lot of fun. I mean, the first time people are recognizing you, it's kind of weird. Right. You know? And it was a lot of fun. And we went to the Emmys five times and the SAG Awards. And you put the tux on and you're on the red carpet. I didn't like it. Really? I didn't. HBO was great to us. They fly you and your wife out. I got to take my daughter a few times, fly you out, limos and first class hotel, and they treat you fantastic. It's amazing. I would like to go back now. I would appreciate right. it more now. I mean, here I am out of nowhere. You're at the Emmy Awards five times. It's crazy. You know, it, it, crazy. How's it when people it, recognize you? How's that feel all over the place? At the beginning, it's a little uncomfortable. I mean, right. uh, I don't mind it now. Most 99% of the people are very nice. Hey, yeah. I like your work. I like your work. Like your work. Uh, you get uh, once in a while, you'll get a, a, a overzealous something or you're with your family. It's a little uncomfortable. Yeah. But for the most part, uh, almost everyone's really nice, supportive. Especially Blue Bloods is a huge show. Huge yeah. show. You've got 10 million people watching Blue Bloods. It's the fourth highest rated uh, scripted show on network TV. And for, but with longevity, right? Like the th it just keeps I'm going. We went until we start July 20th filming our 13th. What's the other one? Would it be uh, CSI? Like what are the other big ones? I think the, the one on CBS, it's... Yeah, and As, the SVUs, Law and Order, and they're yeah, all they're yes, all like well, huge shows. Yeah, but uh, Blue Bloods is number four. Uh, That's big. Yeah, it's big. The show is picked up steam. It's a great show, great cast. You know, uh, everybody's great. I mean, I couldn't be luckier and happier to be on that show. It's in New York. You know, uh, I you know, like I said, I've been very lucky. Now after the podcast, which was an enormous amount of work. And I got to tell you, shooting the show, writing the book, and doing the podcast was very difficult. Yeah, you, you overbooked a little bit yourself. Very much so. And I was pulling my hair out because with this podcast, you had to watch the show. And like I say, when I said we didn't know what we were getting into, you know, we were going at first, yeah, we'll do three in a day, <laughs> four in a day, blah, 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 blah. Uh, yeah. You know, you got to watch the show and take notes. And Sopranos is a very complicated, complex show. Yeah. It's not an easy show. It's not a sitcom. You go, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Da, da. Right. No. Very complicated. So you got to write your notes down. Stop, go, stop, go, quote, blah, blah, blah. Then 
I would watch it again. Then we wind up taping the show. It was three hours long, the podcast. It was well, just, you, I, like you said, you had to, it, it, it was, it was, a lot to do. I mean, it's it not like a just, a lot of work. we're having a conversation. I'm learning about you as a person. Yeah. You know, I, I, it's, I, I don't have to watch a three hour show and then like write this notes. Was a lot and, of work. And it was a lot of fun all over the world. Like I said, over 20 million downloads. Uh, you know, it did beyond our expectations. We, we did 91 of them. Uh, but it was time to end it. It was time to end it. You know, I mean, uh, that was that. And uh, the no, book- but, but, listen, it's not the end. It's just something new. Will like you, someone else will come up and say, "Listen, I got this for you." That seems like want, how your life I, goes. I love it. Maybe I'll have something. You know, you know what? I think, John, when yeah. Blue Bloods is over, I think I'm gonna come stay here, my house, split my <laughs> time between here, California, and New York, and hang and, out. Just take it easy. I've done okay. So, you've done amazing. So I, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Just one quick thing, and then uh, uh, I want to tell you know see where you, where we can go see your shows that you have now. So what would you tell? You, I love this question for you. If you go back and be eighteen again, what would you tell yourself? Like like what was the, what would be the most important thing? The lesson after listening to you today, would you tell yourself? You know, just be who you are. Don't be a phony. Don't uh, try to use people. Don't say, well, I, that guy, I, 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 I know if I become buddies with that professor, he'll give me an A. Don't, don't, don't do any of that. Be polite. Uh, be nice guy. Unless they're not nice to you, then be a motherfucker. <laughs> don't take no shit, you know. But yeah, be polite. Yeah. Look people in the eye like I told my daughters. Shake their hand. Look them in the eye. Your word is your bond. I'm still a big believer in that. That's why I don't care for Hollywood so much because these people will sue each other and then go have lunch with each other. Yeah, they think it's just business is business. It's funny. Um, I was watching that show, The Hack, and they had a whole scene where yeah. the comedian was suing yeah. the writer and they're working together. No, it's just, yeah, you know, well, maybe not, that was a spoof on that. It could be a spoof. And I and I take everything personal, so I'm not a believer in that. Oh, it's just the way they do things. That's not how I operate, you know. So, uh, you know, I just really, your word is your bond and, you know, focus. If you're going to do it, do it. Don't half-ass anything. You're not going to fake it. You I agree. You know, you can't fake it, not in this, not in business. You yeah, yeah, people sense it, especially if you're going to be in front of a lot of people doing entertainment. You know. So where can we see your next shows? I know Red uh, Bag, where are they? Comedy and Conversation with the Sopranos. The next one's at Casino Rama out, uh, outside of Toronto, August. Uh, When's Red Bank? Red Bank, New Jersey, September 10th at the Count Basie. And then we're in Pittsburgh, October 10th, I believe. So everyone listening, I went to the show, 2,500 people, two hours, three hours, felt like 15 minutes. My whole family went, obviously there's many soprano lovers out there, so go see this, it's awesome. And you'll walk out smiling when you're done. Yeah, and, you know, woke up this morning, it's coming out in paperback. You know, we sold close to 100,000 copies of that. Very proud of that book. Uh, yeah. It's a definitive oral history of The Sopranos. 
We talk to 67 cast members, crew members. If you're it's a, a lot of work, fan, it's a must have, you know? I love that. I love that. So thank you so much for doing this. I know you have lots going on. And, thank uh, you, buddy. I, We're gonna you have a, I appreciate it. I got a good spot to take you in New York. I can't wait to see you. All right. Have a good one. Take care, my friend.